We're diving deep into Cardinals baseball with World Series champion Brad Thompson on the Redbird Report podcast on 101 ESPN, driven by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome in. It's another edition of the Redbird Report podcast. My name is Brad Thompson. I'll be your host. And uh, look, third one of the season so far. Spring training right around the corner. Again, February 15th, pitchers and catchers report. That's next week, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, finally, baseball is here. We're going to have like real news and real reports instead of making them up and hopefully they're all good reports like everybody's healthy and there's a good chance there's going to be a lot of players that are in the best shape of their lives. Amazing how that happens, isn't it? Come spring training time, guy takes a few months off, works out in their best shape of their lives going to have the best season. I think the Cardinals are going to have about 26 of those guys that are going to be in the best shape of their lives and they're going to have the best seasons ever. All right, maybe that's setting the bar a little bit too high. Either way, I'm pumped up for spring training, and there are still a lot of questions to answer about this ball club. We dove in last podcast on the Redbird Report on the outfield and the mix that is going to be there. And, and, man, it's going to be fascinating to see who ends up coming out of that mix. And with all of the guys in the World Baseball Classic, uh, I'm really intrigued. Newt's going to be gone. He's going to be playing for Japan. Tyler O'Neill is going to be playing for Canada. The outfield, you got young bucks that are going to get a chance. Jordan Walker is going to have some runway out there. The 20-year-old phenom, Alec Burleson, is going to get a lot of at-bats out there. Can't wait to see what he ends up doing with it. But uh, we dove into the outfield last time. If you didn't check that one out if you didn't listen to the second podcast of the year you know that same place you got this one yeah go back one more and you can listen to that but an area that I wanted to get into today and we alluded to this a little bit the other day in the podcast is who is the designated hitter for this ball club and maybe before we get into who exactly it is going to be and let's be honest there's not going to be one definitive answer as to who it's going to be unless number five decides that uh, he gets really bored in spring training and he'd like to show up again and then talking Albert he said he's not going to do that so good for him he's a man of his word uh, but I, I got to tell you something about the DH last year and the universal DH just in general. i got to tell you this. I was wrong. I was wrong. I railed against it. I did the whole National League purist thing. I said, uh, look, I like strategy. And I, I want all of these different aspects in. I want the manager to really have to make decisions. And the double switch is late. And look, to a certain extent, I still do really like that. And I, and I miss that aspect of it. But, boy, I didn't miss the pitchers hitting this year. I didn't. And this is coming from a former pitcher who thought he was going to hit a home run every time he came to the plate. Now, I'll save you the baseball reference search. I didn't hit one or a triple or a double. Uh, but I thought I was going to all the time. And I'll save you the search again. I had 10 hits. They were all singles. And they were all lasers. Yeah, they, they, they were all singles at the very least. doesn't matter what they were. But I, I really didn't think that I was going to enjoy watching the DH in the National League. We all got a glimpse of it during the pandemic-shortened season, but you could have made the pitcher throw standing on his head, and I would have enjoyed that in the pandemic-shortened season. I was just happy to have some freaking baseball, and I feel like a lot of you felt the same way. 
But I, I, I don't know what it was. Like, was it just the DH? Was that it and that aspect of baseball? Or was it Albert? It could have very well just been the Albert factor because if there were no DH, there would have been no Albert. There would have been no storybook finish to an incredible career with him. Albert signed in spring training for $2.5 million. He ended up hitting 24 home runs. He drove in 68. He had a 154 OPS plus. And in the second half, how about this slash line for Albert Pujols in the second half last year? He hit 323, 388 on base, and a 715 slug. That's good for an 1103 OPS 18, by the way, 18 of his 24 home runs came in the second half. He was ridiculous. So maybe that was it. So maybe it was the Albert Pujols factor. And Albert had by far the most games at designated hitter last year. He appeared in 69 games in the DH spot. The next guy on the list was Goldie. Goldie appeared in 23 games Corey Dickerson appeared in 20 games, and uh, look, the Dickerson project did not work out exactly as planned. He had that magical run of uh, 10 ABs in a row uh, by getting on base. That was awesome, Uh, but uh, it it wasn't the best year for Dickerson. Juan Yepes had 19 games at the DH spot. Gorman, 18. Nolan Arenado, 17. Donnie, uh, Brendan Donovan had 16, and Newt had 9. Then you had a few players had 3, 2, 1 appearances uh, at the DH spot. But, I mean, this was largely Albert's job last year. And, and real quick, just, just thinking back on Albert getting that job and him being that guy for the Cardinals last year, it took some things to happen to make that happen. Remember, it took a couple of young guys to struggle mightily in spring training for Albert to even get that opportunity to come in and be the DH. You remember the plan, right? The plan last year was to platoon that position with a couple of young players. And a couple of young players that I'm still very high on. And uh, when you heard me talk about one of them in the outfield mix, I truly believe he's going to be a huge part of this offense. But two guys that struggled in spring training and left the door wide open for Albert, and those two players were Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman. That was the idea, that those two guys were going to be able to mix and match at-bats, they'd play platoons, and that's how they were going to tackle the DH position. You also brought in Dickerson, who you knew could fit into that role and could be in your outfield. There was a gold glover a few years ago, but really... It was the struggles of Gorman and the struggles of Juan Yepes in spring training that really opened the door uh, for Albert to return. And I've never been more thankful for offensive struggles than I was those two guys. Didn't know it at the time, uh, but we certainly know it now at this point. Now, Juan Yepes, might as well start with him because Juan Yepes, to me, just when you're looking at it on paper, he's the guy that he tends to make the most sense, uh, sense here as a guy that could take over in that DH role. Now, we talked about him a little bit the other day in the outfield mix. He had a 111 OPS plus, 12 home runs, 13 doubles last year. Again, he's only 24 years old, and his his splits are good, man. This is a guy that... You look at it and say, oh, well, we'll play him against lefties. No, you play him against righties, you play him against lefties. He's actually better against right-handed pitching. Uh, again, 19, uh, 19 games at the DH position last year. But Juan Yepes is a guy that just knows how to hit. 
Like he is a professional hitter, eight years professionally so far, which seems crazy at 24, but that's what happens when you're signed out of Venezuela as a 16-year-old. You get a lot of reps under your belt, and he's a guy that you really believe is going to be in that mix. And another guy, again, the two guys that struggle, that opened the door for Albert Pujols last year, and hopefully they don't open the door for anybody else because two of the guys that can do the most damage, number two is Nolan Gorman. Can Nolan Gorman jump into that role or is he going to force his hand at second base i just know this if gorman swings it he is going to play nolan gorman has had his struggles early on in his big league career and it's incredibly early on in his big league career so the question is with gorman what adjustments does he make what did he learn from his first year in the big leagues and the way that big league pitchers were attacking him you look at the overall numbers, uh, slash line of 226, 300, 420. I did the math. That's 720 OPS. That's fine. I think it's fine, but it's not great. 14 home runs, 13 doubles, and he's got monster pop. Like when he gets one, he gets one. You make a mistake, you, you flip up a lazy breaking ball that's going down and into him, and he's going down and away out of the ballpark uh, is what it's doing. But he struck out a lot. As uh, as we know, he had uh, over a 32% strikeout rate last year, not exactly where you would like him to be. Uh, the walk rate wasn't up there. And here's the one that really stands out for me when it comes to Nolan Gorman last year. He hit 190 with a 342 slug against fastballs. I would expect a player like him to hammer fastballs and be one of those guys like, hey, let's just pull the string on the lefty. He'll swing and miss uh, on the off speed. Actually hit the off speed better than anything else. Changeups he was good against. Hit 273, 527 slug against that pitch, but struggled mightily against the heater, specifically the fastball up in the zone. And I'm not even just talking about the fastball up above the zone, the one that just looks so good out of the hand. And anybody that has played baseball, you just know. Like, you know that fastball up in the zone, it looks like you're going to crush it, and then it blows right past you. I'm not even talking about that one, the one that's above the zone. I'm talking about the fastball even in the top of the strike zone he really struggled to get to. So I'm going to be very interested to see what type of adjustments that Nolan Gorman is able to make coming into this season because nobody is going to start doing you favors and pitching you differently unless you prove that they have to pitch you differently. So the opposition is going to try to throw him fastballs up in the zone. They'll try to tie him up, and if it works, they're going to continue to do that. So what adjustments can he make? Uh, I believe, and look, I'm not the hitting expert. I know more about giving up hits than I do about getting hits. Uh, But his swing, he dips under any of these fastballs up in the zone. So there's got to be an adjustment with him with his hands where he works from the top of the strike zone down. So he's able to recognize that pitch and cover it. And like He doesn't have to turn into a guy that just crushes the fastball up in the zone, but he's got to be able to get to a point where he can at the very least foul it off and protect and give himself another life. Because as good as these pitchers are in the big leagues, they will make mistakes. Like If you foul off a couple of their tough pitches – 
they might, in fact, try to come back with something else, and then you gave yourself another life to do something big. And that's where I believe that Nolan Gorman has got to get to. But here's the reminder with Gorman, because I I saw this so much while doing the fast lane on 101 ESPN, and we get text into the show all the time and said, look, he doesn't have it, he's not clutch, he can't do this, he can't do that. He's 22 years old. That is the reminder when it comes to Nolan Gorman. This is a first-round pick out of high school who is 22 years old and was getting his feet wet in his first big league season. I personally am going to give the kid a little bit of rope here because I believe in the skill set. I believe in the raw power that he has, and I do believe that he's going to learn from the last season uh, that he just had. I mean, that your first big league year is a tough one for sure for anybody. Like, you're going to have a learning curve, and certainly there was one there for him. And will it come at the DH position? Will he be a guy that gets a bunch of his ABs over at second base? I don't know. Like, uh, your best defensive ball club has Brendan Donovan over at second base, but I believe that Brendan Donovan's versatility is one of the biggest aspects that he brings to the club. That, and oh, by the way, is nearly 400 on base percentage. So I guess we will soon see how all of that shakes out uh, for Gorman specifically, what it looks like at second base. But the big key is he's got to be swinging it. If he's swinging a bat, you just think about how dangerous potentially this lineup can be when the pieces fall into place. And and look, none of us are naive enough to believe that everything is going to fall into place at the same time, where it's like, oh, magically, uh, all of a sudden, Jeff Albert's gone. Everybody, we can hit now. I don't think that those are the conversations, although those are some of the conversations uh, that fans are having. But there is monster potential with this lineup. You have an incredible nucleus of Goldie, Arenado, Contreras. You have the incredible upside of a guy like Tyler O'Neill, who we've at least seen it at the big league level. You've got guys with crazy pop like Yepes, like Gorman, hopefully like Jordan Walker, who really won't factor in. You wouldn't think too much to this DH role if he's a part of the team. I think you'd want him in the field. You're going to yeah, you're gonna have off days where you want him off of his feet like anybody else. Uh, but I don't think he'll factor into this as much. But there's just so much upside when you look at what this lineup could potentially be. Now, another guy that is firmly in this mix here when it comes to the DH spot is Alec Burleson. We talked about him with the outfield mix. If you hit, you play I feel like that's the way that you have to look at it. Well, a left-hander who has hit at every level so far, 48 at-bats at the big league level, did in fact look over match early on, as we talked about in the last podcast as we dug into the outfielders. But he is, uh, when you look at him, he's not like a, a gold glover in the outfield, certainly not going to hurt you. He's versatile enough to play some first base for you. He did so in college, also pitched in college. So uh, when whenever we see him as a position player pitching, we might see something good. But I'm looking forward to see what he does with some of these at-bats that are going to be there with a few of your presumed starters in the outfield. And look, presumed starter might even be a little bit too nice right now. But guys that, or at least in Tyler O'Neill's case, a guy that is under contract through his second year of arbitration making some good money, who they would like to be out there. But it's very difficult to say that anybody has just earned a job at this point, as we talked about last time. I think that Newt Barr is probably the closest to a guy that is in 
in fact, earned a spot. But I think Burleson will be in this conversation for the DH as well. And another guy, Moises Gomez, 39 home runs last year in the minor leagues that led all of major or minor league baseball, and a guy that has big-time power. He shows up to spring training and gets all of these reps and takes advantage of it. He's on the 40-man roster already. Like, why would you hesitate to put that guy in the mix? And certainly there is the case for Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung, and yes, uh, for those that haven't been paying attention, Paul DeYoung is still around. He is there. He's been working diligently down in Jupiter, Florida. Very good piece recently over at the Post-Dispatch, how he has revamped his swing yet again. And look, I'm not a Paul DeYoung defender, but I am a Paul DeYoung fan. I, I want him to do well. Um, I, I, there's no looking around the struggles that he's had for the last two and a half years. He's been bad. He's been inconsistent. He's battled himself. I think that uh, mentally he's been fried the last couple of years also. But I'd love to see him be an option for you. Right now when you're putting the roster together, he's a guy that he's a utility infielder off the bench who could play a great shortstop for you. And in a perfect world, in a magical world, and I'm not living in this world right now, okay, I just told you about the last two and a half years. I'm not here to uh, defend Paul DeYoung and, and what has happened. But if he showed up to spring training in this magic world where he's just lighting the world on fire, I like my options with him playing shortstop, Tommy playing second, Donnie bouncing all over the field, Gorman earning his at-bats wherever he can. You can never have too many good players, and you already have uh, DeYoung under contract. I don't believe that his contract is just going to thrust him into playing time. I, I feel like it's the whole sunken cost fallacy. The money is already spent. If he's not going to make your ball club better, well, don't have him be a part of your ball club. But I really hope that he is able to push and be a part of your best 26-man ball club. And who knows, maybe he finds himself uh, you know, in that DH role a bit as well. But I believe the guy that had the second most games at DH last year, as I told you off the top, Paul Goldschmidt, the reigning MVP, I believe that Goldie is going to need more games at the DH position. I believe that Arenado will need more games at the DH position to get them off their feet a little bit more, which is a very difficult thing to do if you're the manager because you have arguably the best first baseman in the game of baseball, and you have absolutely the best third baseman in the game of baseball. These guys, like having them on the field is a huge advantage for your pitching staff, for your ball club, but I feel like we need to make sure that they're healthy down the stretch. Uh, Goldie, you can't take anything away from an MVP season, but it, it's still notable, I think, that he struggled a bit down the stretch. You look at the final month, his final 27th game, uh, 27 games from September 1st on, uh, and look, you look around baseball, these numbers are like like average numbers. He's not an average player. He's the MVP of the league. He had 245 with a 383 slug. Uh, two homers, drove in 10 in the final month, far off of his pace for the rest of the year. And he just looked to be a little worn down. Now, maybe he was battling some injury. Maybe he just had something that wasn't feeling right. Either way, what can the Cardinals do to make sure that doesn't happen again? I believe that that is going to be, especially 
without without an Albert Pujols, okay, without an obvious option of who should be getting the at-bats like that, Goldie's going to need to take a lot of at-bats in that role, and so is Arenado. Keep them fresh as possible. You have guys that can play both of those positions. Hell, Donovan can play and did play both of those positions for you. Yepes can play first base. If you need Burleson over there, he can play a little first base as well. So I really do believe that that is going to be one of the things that's really important is keeping those guys rested down the stretch so they're ready come postseason time, which, look, I believe we all believe that the Cardinals are going to be a postseason team. You look at the division, you look at what everybody has done, certainly the Cubs have gotten better I don't believe they've gotten push you for the division better. The Brewers are going to be good. Still going to be a two-pony race in my opinion. But the Cardinals should be a postseason team. So how... Do you, do you try to set it up where Goldie and Arenado are as fresh as possible come postseason time? I think that's where the DH position comes in. But yet another intriguing part of spring training and an intriguing part of the season and a very interesting decision for second-year now manager Ali Marmol, who's got a whole new staff that he's going to be leaning on this season as to how to deploy that position. But again, so many different things that are going into this season. We've talked about about uh, the rotation, are they deep enough? Uh, talked about the outfield mix, now the DH position. I just know this. The DH position, they got me now. I like it. I'm a fan. I want to see somebody succeed. And they say uh, out with the old and in with the new. Boy, that doesn't seem to fit when the old is uh, number five. Albert Pujols, 703 home run, fourth most all-time, second in baseball in RBI, surpassed Babe Ruth last year. But the game goes on. We'll go on to watch it, to figure out what these guys have got in store for us in spring training. Hey, we're going to dig into a lot more Cardinal content next week. We're going to have real deal stuff. Spring training is going to be going on. There's going to be a ton of content, but there's still going to be a lot of questions, and that's where you come in. I want to get you guys involved week in and week out. I would like to start a portion of this segment where it's listener-driven. What are you interested in? What do you want me to dig into? What questions do you have? For now, before uh, you know, I get smart enough to set up an email for this or something, hit me up on Twitter, at BThompson48. That's at BThompson48. If you've got a question that you want me to dig into, use the hashtag RedbirdReport. Give me your question, and I would love to do that. I want you guys to be involved in this. Uh, I really want to have that interaction throughout the season because, look, if one of you is interested in something, there's a good chance that there are a lot more people. So, again, on Twitter, at BThompson48. Get your questions in, hashtag Redbird Report, and you're going to be a part of what's going on moving forward. Next week, I'd love to get into some of the NRIs, the non-roster invites that we should all be keeping an eye on because every single year, it seems like one of those guys pops up. Certainly, the NRI that everybody's going to have their eye on is Jordan Walker. I don't think he counts for this conversation, but certainly some other guys that I'm really interested in checking out. And I want to take a deeper dive into some of the rule changes. Who's going to be affected the most? Who could this benefit the most? And really, what is baseball going to look like in 2023? We'll break all of that down and more next week on the Redbird Report podcast. Again, my name is Brad Thompson. I've been your host. If you like the podcast... Tell your friends about it. Have them downloaded. Have them send in questions because we're going to break it down for everybody. If you hated the podcast, 
Try again next week. Still tell your friends about it. Would love them to listen. Maybe they got better taste than you do. It's the Redbird Report brought to you by 101 ESPN. We'll talk to you again next time. You've been listening to the Redbird Report podcast with Brad Thompson on 101 ESPN. Driven by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Check out every episode at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app.